So, uh, praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a couple of different sets of Scripture uh, this morning. What I want to talk to you is about is uh, living in the last days. You, you look around and you see what's going on overseas and the battle and the war and all of the calamity that's in the world and there's so much that's happening. So many people are coming to me out at the prison, uh, inmates as well as officers and, and uh, people everywhere just wanting to know what I think about you know, the activities that are going on in the world. And I said, well, they're all written down in the Bible. Amen. You know, it's not hard to figure out. If, uh, if you'll just take the time to, to be a little, little studious and uh, to, to find uh, out what uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter four, uh, 24. And uh, I'm going to try to go through most of that chapter, but especially verse 32 through 35. And uh, then we're also going to be looking at Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 3 through 14. And... Uh, I can't. I can't help but thinking when everybody's running around worried. Uh, I saw one lady on line uh, yesterday. She joined the military, and uh, she was hoping for you know a, a education and a job and a paycheck and all of those things. But now she was wringing her hands and crying, saying, "I didn't sign up for this." <laughs> When I joined the military, there wasn't any war, and uh, I wasn't planning on going to war, and uh, now it looks like we're pretty much headed in that direction, and she, she was looking for a hole. She was looking for a way out. There's a lot of people that are, are scared, that are worried uh, about what's going on with Russia and uh, Ukraine and the battle that's going on there reminds me of the story of Chicken Little. You remember Chicken Little? I'm sorry? The sky's falling. The sky's falling. <laughs> An acorn dropped on his head. When, some, when an acorn dropped on his head, he went running around in circles, screaming, the sky's falling. The sky's falling. And it uh, wasn't long after he started hollering that that the whole barnyard was in an uproar. And you see the whole world. Uh, really getting in an uproar, talking about World War III. And uh, boy, that's a possibility, I guess. Uh, anything can happen. And of course, we know that in the end times, in the last days, that, that there is going to be uh, basically what we would consider uh, a World War III. But uh, just because people feel like, you know, the sky's falling... Uh, the the real question is is what does God's word say about our future, and we we can find that out just by looking at basically these two sets of scriptures. Should we should we panic as the people of God? Should we be running around you know like a chicken with our head cut off, much less like Chicken Little just got hit in the head with an acorn and thinks the skies. Fallen. How, how are we to live our lives if Jesus is coming now? You know, I mean, soon. Most of us believe that He's coming. You know, He's going to come back. The Bible teaches us that just as sure as He came the first time, He's going to come again. But we're not expecting, kind of like the lady in the military. 
You know, well, I understand that being in the military is really about war, but I didn't sign up for this. I didn't think there was going to be one this soon. I figured I would go through, breeze through, and get out and come out on the other side without having to, you know, strap on my gear and go overseas and and shoot people and and try to survive. But uh, the truth is, is, is that we don't know. We don't know when the Lord's coming back. It could be any second as far as the rapture goes. The, the next thing in order uh, of prophecy, there's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture can take place. And, and certainly that can happen any minute. So uh, you take your Bibles and let's look at uh, verse 1 of 24. We're going to read through this as quickly as I can. And it says this, And Jesus went out and uh, departed uh, from the temple, and his disciples came to him uh, for to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, You see, uh, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, that there shall not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the mount of olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Lord, tell us, When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And you shall see and see that you uh, be not troubled, for these things must come to pass But the end is not yet. In other words, these are things that lead up to the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the great tribulation. Verse 7 says, For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and in diverse places or different places. And there are these are the beginning of sorrows. These are the birth pangs. Uh, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be uh, offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, and he that shall endure Unto the end, the same shall be saved. So you, you do understand that we're talking about the build up to the rapture. And then as people go into the, the uh, tribulation <clears throat> period, it's talking about that great tribulation and those that endure to the end of that great tribulation, the same shall be tr- saved. And this gospel in verse 14 of the kingdom shall be preached all over the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in a holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back. Now you remember the, the movie about the rapture and, and uh, how it's talking about uh, some will be in the field and some will be taken and the others left. Two will be in the bed and one taken and another left. Neither let him which is in the field return back 
to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. And we see people over in the Ukraine that are fleeing from that nation by the thousands. They're cold. They're starving. They are facing uh, inhumanity that you cannot possibly imagine. Men, women, boys, and girls being murdered uh, at the young age of 8 and 9 years old. Young girls, 12, 13 years old, being raped and murdered. And we as a Christian nation, I put something out on Facebook the other day. We as a Christian nation have an obligation to help those that are hurting and that are dying and that are being taken advantage of. I, I got a lot of amens out of that, but I really expected and was hoping that more Christians would say yes, yes. And certainly, we, uh, we realize that if something like that happens in our nation one day, we would hope that other Christian nations would join together with us and try to help us overcome in verse 21, it says this, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, uh, nor shall ever be again in the future. Uh, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here's Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall rise many false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. Behold, I've told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth under the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give uh, her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Now pay attention. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. And remember this, that the fig tree is always a picture of the nation of Israel. When they're talking about the fig tree, a lot of the time they're talking about the people of God in the nation of Israel. When his branch shall yet be tender and put forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. Now it's talking about a literal fig tree. And you understand that summer is nigh when the fig tree starts blooming new leaves. So like... Also, it says in verse 33, So likewise, ye, when ye shall see these things, know that the end is near, or that it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all of these things be fulfilled. So when the nation of Israel shoots forth green leaves, when it comes back 
You know, it's the only nation that has ever gone out of existence and came back into existence. And that happened in 1948. And it says that this generation that is born at the time that that nation or that fig tree gives forth new leaves, that generation that is alive at that time shall not pass away till all of these things be fulfilled. That's powerful scripture, folks. You know, 1948, some folks say that a generation is 70, 70 years or 72 years that was allotted unto man, and you add 72 plus 1948, guess what you get? 2022. That's an amazing thing. Now, I'm not making any predictions. I'm just saying that the Word of God says that that generation shall not pass away. Some people say that a generation is 22 to 32 years, and uh, but that that generation shall not pass away and that that um, amount is allotted unto man. Seventy uh, years is allotted unto man. So you've got a, a space there of 32 to, uh, 22 to 32 years added to that 70 that, you know, you, you never know within that range what God's going to do. But that is a prophecy given by the Lord that uh, that generation shall not pass away till all of these things that we're talking about be fulfilled. Verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. 36, But of that day and of that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So I want you to realize that I'm not making predictions about the end of the world or the coming of Christ. Only God knows when that is. But God has given us some signs that we are able to tell, boy, it's getting close. Amen. And I know this, that we are closer today than we have ever been to the Lord coming back. And I believe that it can actually take place today. I'm looking forward you know, I, I believe also that the Feast of Trumpets is one of the feasts. No, it's the only feast that does not have a special day attached to it. And I think that that Feast of the Trumpets is the day. You know, the Bible says that uh, you shall hear the, the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. And then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together. So the trump's going to sound in the Feast of the Trumpets. And then you see in Revelation where it's talking to one of the churches. Uh, right before uh, the churches, before the church age, at the end of the, the age here, it says, And I heard a sound as though it were a trumpet, and I saw a door in heaven opened, and the sound of the trumpet was as a voice saying, Come up hither, and that come up hither is where we kind of get our word rapture from. So you have two different trump uh, verses talking about the rapture of the people of God. And a lot of people correlate that with the Feast of Trumpets. Is that right? I don't know. But it sure is suspicious, isn't it? I want you to notice some things in these verses that we should suggest about our attitudes that we should have in days like this. In days like this, when we look around and we see the things that are in Romans, I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 24, and we see you know, just how closely the world is paralleling uh, the, the Word of God. Then we're going to take a look over in Second Peter chapter 3, 3 through 14. But I want you to notice this. First of all, we should have a sense of urgency. 
You know, I, I think that we have become a lazy church. I think that we have uh, grown so accustomed to our freedom and our liberties and the things that we have here in America that uh, we don't think that they're ever really going to end, or at least they're not really going to end our li- in our life. It's kind of like the lady that's in the military, and she was on uh, Facebook, and she was literally crying. She had tears running down her face because of the fear that she had in her heart that this thing called war was going to be a reality when, when she signed up for the military, she realized what it was that she was signing into. What she was signing up for. When we sign up as a Christian, when we say, Lord, I believe, I bend the knee, bow the head, surrender my heart, my life, everything that I am, to everything that you are, I believe that you died for my sin, I'm going to live my life for your glory. We understand that this is not a cakewalk. We understand that this is a war, this is a race, this is a fight, this is a battle, and that the end of the battle is going to end literally like this chapter that we have read just said. If we're living in the end times, we need to have a sense that whatever we have to accomplish, you know, we, we got to do that now. I don't, I'm not promised tomorrow. You, you don't know that you have tomorrow. We, we have families. We have loved ones. I've got grandchildren. I spent, you know, a few hours with my granddaughter, Layla Grace, yesterday. She just turned seven, had her seventh birthday. I'm so thankful to have been able to spend seven years with a granddaughter, my fifth grandchild, my only granddaughter, and I love her so much. But I don't know that I'm going to see her eighth birthday. I don't know that. I should give thanks to God for every opportunity that I have in this life to live a life, first of all, for His glory and His honor, but secondly, to enjoy the pleasures of this life, realizing with an urgency that I'm not guaranteed my next breath, much less tomorrow or next month or next year. There needs to be a sense of urgency, not only in our lives concerning our family, but in our, our lives concerning our Christianity and our witness and our testimony. There should be a sense of urgency in, in sharing the gospel with a lost and dying World. There was a man named F.B. Meyer. Don't know if you know him, but he was a Bible teacher back in the day. You probably recognize this name more readily. His name was D.L. Moody. And uh, uh, F.B. Meyer asked D.L. Moody, he says, what's the secret of your success? And uh, D.L. Moody was a very successful evangelist and preacher. And D.L. Moody uh, replied to him. He says, for many years, I've never preached a message without the consciousness that the Lord may come back before I finish. And that means before I climb down from behind this pulpit, I realize that that the Lord may come back and I might not get to finish the message that I'm preaching now and that I should preach from behind this pulpit or behind the pulpit at the prison or in line at Walmart or wherever we find ourselves. We should preach with a fervency that lets people know just how serious this thing called life and death really is. That lady that was joining, that joined the military, she understood. She understood the, the weight of what she was facing. There, there's a world of people out there that have no idea. They don't understand the weight 
of eternity. They don't understand the weight of their sin. You, you would be surprised at how many people I run into just in the prison right here in Faraday, Louisiana, that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you would think, well, that's, that's impossible. You can't live in America and have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ask people out there sometimes, do you know what the gospel is? They'll give me all kinds of answers. You would be surprised at how many answers I get from so many people that are so far off of what the gospel is. Some people say, well, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's pretty close, but even that's not right. Because the gospel actually goes back from eternity past to eternity future. The gospel literally is Jesus Christ. Everything that He has been, everything that He was, everything that He will be, the death, the burial, the life, but actually the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and who He is going to be to us in eternity rather than where we might spend eternity in hell without Him. All of those things encompass the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think of Noah in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. It says this, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah had a sense of urgency. He realized because God told him, Hey, there's a flood coming. There's a flood coming. Do you realize there's a flood coming? Oh, it might not be a flood of water. But mind, I'm telling you that the flood of God's wrath is steadfast and sure. It is on its way. And there's a world of people out there that have no idea about the wrath of God. The only thing they may know about God is that He's some kind of fuzzy-wuzzy Santa Claus in heaven waiting for the window to open so He can pour out a blessing on us. But my friend, unless we warn them and tell them about the wrath of God to come, how will they know to flee from that wrath? How will they know to get on the ark of the ship of God's grace and to be forgiven of their sin? You think of Christ Himself. James says, Our life is as a vapor. It appeareth now for just a short time and is gone. You know, if we're going to be faithful to Christ in this life, it's got to be now. It's got to be now. We don't know, again, that we have tomorrow. And Christ warned us that we don't have tomorrow, that we don't know we have tomorrow. Well, we have a sense of urgency. But we ought to have a sense of sinfulness. Sinfulness. You know, most people look at their sin as Errors in judgment. Well, I made a mistake. Uh, I shouldn't have done that, and I wish I hadn't have done that, but everybody sins. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody falls short, but we don't understand the heinousness of our sin. I, I, I said a prayer. Somebody put something on Facebook yesterday, and I read it, and it was, you know, this this thing about thanking God for His blessings and, and uh, asking, you know, for His blessings and the times that we're living in. But, but I saw no repentance. I saw no confession. I saw no remorse for the lifestyle of Americans in general. So I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything about what the person 
uh, road, all I did was say a prayer underneath it. And I begged God for forgiveness for our sin, my sin. First of all, I confessed my sin. And I said, God, I don't love you like I ought to. I don't love you like I could, much less like I should. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. That's that's the greatest commandment in the Bible. And and I, I am guilty of that sin habitually, consistently, every second of every hour of every day of every minute of my life. I am living a habitual, sinful lifestyle before you. And I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to change that. I don't know how to love you. With all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my might. Forgive me. Forgive our nation, God, for the innocent blood. Do you realize that we kill 3,000 innocent unborn children every day in American abortion mills? How can we ask for the blessings of God in our homes, our families, our lives, our churches, our nation? And not beg for forgiveness for the innocent blood that's running through our streets. God forgive us for just the lukewarm Christianity that the church in general is living in today. An arrogant, selfish narcissism. And we don't even realize that we're lukewarm. That we have no fervency, that we have no love, no commitment, no sense of our sin and our sinfulness as we grow closer to Christ's return, Christ coming again. Our sense of sinfulness should increase, not decrease, as we are more and more aware when we look around and we see the wars of the world and the things that are going on that the Bible warns us about. That should give us a greater Urgency and a greater awareness of our sinfulness and separation from God because of our sin. You think of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. He went out proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He believed that God was about to do something. Do you believe God's about to do something? You see, we look at what's going on and we well, so many people are afraid. They're scared. They're worried. They think something might be happening. But what is it that we're actually doing about it? Well, God calls us to, to repent and to take sin seriously and to deal with it on a personal level. We look around, you know, sin in others, this I see, but thank the Lord there's none in me. It's easy for us to look, you know, at the red light districts of the world and say those alcoholics, those drug addicts, those, those, those uh, prostitutes and uh, sex workers around the world. Listen, my friend, their sin is no worse than our sin. We, we are sinners. We are sinners in the eyes and in the hands of an angry God that is angry at sin. And we should take our sin every bit as seriously as we look at and take other people's sins. You think of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, chapter 6 and verse 5. He says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You understand that He... Clearly understood 
that it wasn't a world, just a world problem, but that it was a problem that centered in himself and who he was. Isaiah had a sense of urgency about his own sin. I uh, I was kind of scrolling online yesterday and I run across this group. How many of you have ever heard of a group out there on Facebook or YouTube called the Young Turks? It's an uber-liberal uh, news organization that is... is um, I don't think I've ever heard or seen the stuff that I've seen spewed from the mouths of those people that I was listening to yesterday. Pat Robertson, and I'm not a Pat Robertson fan. I believe he loves the Lord. I believe he's a Christian. He's going to heaven. I don't, you know, actually prescribe to his theology and what it is that he preaches and teaches. He came out of retirement to talk about this Russian thing and how Russia was, you know, invading this country and it really wasn't about the country that he's invading, but there's a black sea between uh, that country and and uh, just a, a hop, skip, and a jump and you're in Israel and he's really got his sights setting on Israel and I'm, I'm like, mm, that's a stretch, I don't think so. Pat, I love you, but uh, you know I'm not there. But these people put him on their show, literally the clip that he did, and and they were saying this man and all other really conservative Christians are literally praying for the return of the Lord, and knowing that if they're right and the Lord comes back, that millions of people are going to die. So what they're doing is they're praying for the death of millions and millions of people in order that this little handful of conservative Christians get to be raptured and taken out of the world and go to this fairy tale place called heaven. That's, wow, that's kind of a twist to say it mildly on what not only the Bible preaches or teaches, but what we as conservative Christians even believe and are praying for. I'm praying, first of all, for the salvation of all of those people. I hope that God would move in their heart, illuminate their mind, regenerate their soul, and draw them to Himself, and save them and change their destination from hell to heaven. But if they refuse, if they reject, if they deny Christ, and God comes and returns, and they are caught in a state of unbelief and wind up in a place called hell, what is it that they re uh, receive other than justice? They get exactly what it is that I deserve because we as Christians realize that we're no better, no different than them. We too are sinners. They get justice. We don't get justice. We get grace. If anybody doesn't get what is just, it is we who are Christians and we who are Christians are getting something we don't deserve. We're getting forgiveness of our sins. You see, we should have a sense of longing. Thirdly, a sense of urgency, a sense of sinfulness, but a sense of longing. And that's why I shared that Young Turks thing, because they say these Christians are longing. They're longing for the return of the Lord. They're longing for God to come back and, and annihilate all of these millions of people around the world that aren't Christians and, and that don't want to be. And if they don't want to be, then then God's just going to send them up in a puff of smoke. Well, I think for generations, people have longed for the Lord to return. 
Uh, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I do know that it is going to happen. Nearly 500 years ago, Martin Luther, one of my favorite writers from 500 years ago, wrote this. He said, I hope that day is near at hand when the advent of the great God will appear. For all things are everywhere boiling, burning, falling, sinking, and groaning. You see, the reason that we are begging for the return of the Lord is not not just so we get to go to heaven, but to end the suffering and the sin and the heartache and the loss and the things that are going on in this world. I don't want anybody to go to hell. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Of course, all of those whom He foreknew will come to repentance, but there are a group of people who will not have this man to rule over them. And if He shows up and they're in that condition, then of course they'll receive the wrath of God. Think of Paul. He was a man who lived his life for God as a Jew. And... As a Christian, you see, he knew both sides of that. He knew what it was to be a Jew and to climb the religious ladder leaning against the wrong wall. You do understand that if people are Jews today, no matter what they used to be under the old dispensation, they are living in a cult and they are climbing a a religious ladder that is leaning against the wall. If they step off at the top, they're going to step off in front of a God they never knew. That's why we should have a sense of urgency and a sense of sinfulness and be about our Father's business sharing the Word of God with a lost and dying world. But Paul realized what it was to be to be a Jew and also what it was to be to be a Christian. And I don't know of any man that has ever walked the face of the earth that lived a closer life, that was closer to God while he was here on earth. And had a longing to see him face to face. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 talks about that. How how Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You remember the verses. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, I, I love living in this world, a life that brings glory and honor to God. But I am not about to trade living here and staying here. For me to live is Christ. Oh, but die is, Christ is here now with me. But for me to be with Him, I have a longing. To go and to see Him face to face. And certainly, we should have that same longing in our lives. But lastly, and I know you were wondering whether we were going to get to this. uh, We should have a sense of exclusiveness or exclusivity. I want to read to you these verses right quick in Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, beginning in, in verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust. What are, they, what are they scoffing? What are they mocking? What are they making fun of? What, what are they walking in their own sinful lust, mocking? Well, they're going to be saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
There are people today that say all them Christians, all they talk about, kind of like these young Turks, all they talk about is the return of the Lord and they're praying for the demise of millions of people so that they can live in bliss and joy. Well, I'll tell you one thing. These scoffers, if they could annihilate, if they could get rid of the Christians on this earth, my friend, they would do it in a heartbeat. Because they believe that we're the only thing standing between them and a utopia on earth. That if it was not because of our morality and, and because of our faith and a, and a Santa Claus in the sky, that they could have a perfect life and, and have perfect fun and enjoyment in this world. It says, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this... They willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. They are willingly ignorant of the word of God. They, they hold the word of God in unrighteousness. They understand what it says. They can read black ink on white paper. But again, like the Jews, we'll not have this man to rule over us. Oh, and by the way, we'll not have the religiosity. We will not have the morals of these religious people called the church to rule and to reign in our lives. And the earth standing in and out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now in the same word, uh, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition against ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as as a day. My friend, it's been two days since Jesus Christ hung on that cross in the mind of God. To God, it has been absolutely no time at all. Whether He comes back before I get down from behind this pulpit or whether He comes back in five years or a hundred years. It's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. It may not be in my lifetime. I hope it is. I do. I hope I get to meet Him in the air rather than through the ground. I'd love to, love to see that take place. But if not, I'll promise you this. I'm going to have a sense of urgency. I'm going to have a sense of my own sinfulness. My own wretchedness. I want a, a sense of exclusiveness. The world, of course, doing its best to exclude Jesus Christ from their future. And by the way, in doing so, to exclude us from their future as well. But my friend, when Christ comes back, He's going to return as the only Messiah, the only Savior that this world will ever have. And when He comes back, He's not coming back as, as, as sad as it is. He is not coming back for everybody. He says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. And who are ye? His church. The elect. The children of God. Those who have prepared themselves for a prepared place. If I go to prepare a place, I'm coming again. For a prepared people. Are you prepared? I mean really? 
It's not a hope so, maybe so, think so thing. You see, if He shows up and you're not prepared, you'll be like the, the, the virgins with no oil in their lamp. And they're begging everybody, give me, give me some oil. No, I've got just enough for myself. Go get your own oil. And that oil is the Holy Spirit. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us in a state of fervency, when He shows up, we'll be left behind. Doesn't matter. But, but Lord, Lord, wait a minute. You, Lord, there's going to be many in that day say, Lord, Lord, uh, I've done many wonderful works in Your name. I went to church. I read my Bible. I witnessed. I told people. None of those. Depart from me, for I never knew You. Do you understand? There's a difference between just doing the works of the flesh, even though they're good works, and having a fervency that is rooted in love for Jesus Christ. I do what I do because I love Him. Are you ready? Are you ready? He could come back today. If you're not ready, get ready. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You, Lord, that You made a way. Lord, I know it's a narrow way. I know it's the only way. You are the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by You. You didn't make many roads to Rome. You didn't make many roads to heaven. God, there's only one, and that's by loving, falling head over heels madly, passionately in love with a person, not with a religion, not with a denomination, not with a set of rules and regulations, but God, with a son, with a person, your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to realize that that salvation is in in a person in Christ. Lord, that we might turn away from sin and self and the world and truly live a life that brings glory and honor to You out of a heart of love. And Lord, no matter what tomorrow holds, God, we know who holds tomorrow. And we can be prepared for what it holds for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.